Hello and welcome to Off the Record. This is a different kind of episode this week. It is not because I'm drinking wine. That is probable. Up to that. That is usual. However, we are in the same room recording this week. This will likely never, ever, ever happen again. Nick, <laughs> <laughs> depends if you guys like it. Um, welcome. You can you can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm. Any of the show notes for this episode will be there. We're on iTunes and other places. Jesse can take it away. So the first thing we're going to discuss is. There's been a lot of discussion about that the loudness wars are over. If you're not familiar with the loudness wars, I feel really uh, good for you that you haven't rotted your brain with this discussion. Um, I spent a lot of money my freshman year of school. My mother spent a lot of money my freshman year of school. <laughs> keep it real. Keep it real. <laughs> um, in a class with the head of my program, Jim Klein, where we listened to... Like um, my favorite Michelle Branch song, first CD I ever bought, <laughs> followed by like an Avril Lavigne song, skipped ahead to like a Nickelback song. Which was foretelling of their future marriage. Oh. Yeah. 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 We're getting divorced. Um, is, that, I, is that for sure or is that just I a rule? It's on property is that. It's on property. Gotta be true. Um, that was the first time I decided that Nickelback were a hard band. It was hard. I remember. It was loud. It was because of the loudness wars. It was so loud. I was like, it's very Nickelback loud. is hard cock rock right now. <laughs> um, and that's my only education with loudness wars. Okay. So if you don't know as a music listener... During the mastering process, what happens is is you decide on a volume a record should be. Now, not every record can be the loudest record ever. Like, there's like two of the records that are known as being some of the louder records um, that really abuse the loudness war and have really made people be like, "This is way too loud." Um, one is Suicide Silence, the cleansing, and another is um, He Is Legend. Uh, I Am Hollywood was the record. So both of these records, to some audiophile geeks, are just way too loud. I happen to think that people see this wrong, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, is um, I did a class for Creative Live called DIY Mastering, where I taught how you figure out how loud your record should be was one of the topics we covered. And me and Finn McKenty, who designed the class, both were on the same page before we talked about it, which is something we don't see discussed, which is that loudness is an emotion. And how loud you make your record determines... It's it's a really interesting thing. Like, if you don't make the record loud, it doesn't feel quite as intense or sometimes biting. Sometimes feels more modern if it does, whereas it feels like much more of a throwback. If you don't make it loud, like one of the funny things I think is like when I'm doing some of this emo revival stuff or I was like, gonna say. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like I was going to say like the hotel year album for me, like when I listen to that, it's not quiet. It's just not, everything is not as loud as everything else. I guess that's maybe in the mix or whatever, but like, well, it's, that's the master. Right. They make that decision in the master. So to me, it's like, I, well, I was going to ask, does that mean though, that you think people typically then play it louder on their iPod or in their earphones to try to negate that well yeah so people do compensate that's like a lot of the things that the audiophiles will argue is that that's what a volume knob is for that's the big thing is that if the record's made loud you could never really i mean you can turn it down 
it still is going to have this loud piercing thing and there's going to be this thing in front of front. And that's why I say this is much more about an emotion is that like when the record's made loud, you're always going to have this thing where it's um, there's less what we call dynamic range, which is the measurement of the loudest moment to the least quiet. So one of the things that Nirvana became famous for was that during Smells Like Teen Spirit, it got very quiet in the verse and very loud in the chorus. And that was totally kind of unheard of at that point, unless you were listening to a band like the Pixies, which is who they ripped that off from. I know the kids don't really know who the Pixies are. I know because, that song in the iTunes commercial. Yeah, well, you know, I saw that uh, basement show where Pity Sex opened up and did a Pixies cover and no one knew it. And I was yeah. I, 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 I was horrified. Yeah, so. and I put that on a seven inch, on a split. Yeah, I've never, I've that's the only Pixies song. I I assume I've heard Pixies music. Yes, I do not have. know any Pixies song besides Gigantic. And I only know that because of the Apple ad. <laughs> oh, man. So who's leader came tonight? Oh, I got got my tickets yesterday. I'm really excited for that reunion. They were they, to to get real emo. They were the first show I ever cried at. Oh, I I have only cried at one show. Uh, so, so who was it? The early November's first reunion show. <sighs> I now share an office with their guitarist. I don't know if he knows that. Oh wow! Well, well. <laughs> it was sad. Wow. Yeah. The emo. Um, Mid two thousands emo. It's the best kind. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> One of the things we're going to do with this, uh, as we discuss this episode, and we're taping this episode for a time when we have to do a makeup episode, so this will I have some time to do this. Um, I'm going to sh- make some examples so you can hear the difference between a track that's mastered quietly and a track that's mastered loud. And we're going to play you the difference right now. So the band we're going to be using as an example today is a great new band I produced called Romp. They're like a fun, twee punk band um, from New Brunswick, New Jersey. You can find their music at rompistight.bandcamp.com. And I think they're awesome, so you should totally support them. Anyway, um, first up is the master we actually used for their band, so you can hear the decision we chose to make. hear how it sounds without making the record loud and there's no loudness maximization it's just normalization this is what the purists like to me this while it feels cool it's just not exciting like the other one is
last three we have is what it sounds like when it got mastered a little too loud. This just felt like a little too much. And while it's big and in your face, it's a little abrasive and just not adding a vibe to the track and like leaving some of its gentle prettiness there. Lastly, we're going to let you hear what we chose again so you can get a feel for it right up against that loud one. So what you can hear there is emotionally the song feels softer, whereas when it's mastered loud, it feels more abrasive, more upfront, more intense. So one of the arguments for making your song loud, though, is it makes a better first impression on a listener who just heard something that's a little bit more quiet. It sounds emotionally more exciting a lot of time. But on the other side, if you're doing really spacious, twinkly emo and you make it too loud, then... Yeah, what I was going to say is, is there equally emotion in it not being loud? Yeah, and I think that that's the thing is, like, this is all a judgment call. And as somebody, like, my main job as a mastering engineer, this is a, a judgment call I have to make. And sometimes I make three versions for a band where, like, where there's a happy medium, there's a loud, and there's a quiet. And I'll tell them what I like best, but I don't always know what every band is going for. Um like, loudest is definitely not always best. Like, you know, I, I think of, you know, the great example is a lot of these emo bands. Like, you know, a, a band like uh, The World is a Beautiful Place doesn't work without dynamics. And Yeah, that is truly, like, all dynamics. <laughs> yeah, and it's just that thing. If you get rid of all of that, it doesn't work. But whereas other bands having a super loud record, like, if that record's not loud, it lives and dies by, like, a, you know. One of the more interesting things to get into my weirdo dance music is, like, a lot of people complain that so Skrillex Bangarang is considered one of the loudest records ever made. And now uh, his most recent one, his first full length recess is not loud. And a lot of people don't feel it feels good emotionally. And I think he wanted to prove that he could do it without the loudness. And sadly, it seems like he kind of fell flat a little bit. I mean, he's still 
getting them checks, but he only makes like a million dollars per gig. <laughs> um, especially that New Year's Eve gig, he's gonna make a lot. I read a thing yesterday, maybe about Paris Hilton DJing. Perez Hilton, not no or, or Paris, Paris Hilton. Hilton. Oh, really? Paris Hilton. She made, gosh, she made like what it it was millions of dollars, but what it what it it was millions of dollars over a few weeks, and what it equaled out to with the amount of hours that she was quote unquote DJing was she made like three hundred and forty two grand per hour that she was DJing. Oh my god! And it was like in the Emirates or you know somewhere like yeah yeah yeah. And she, and it's just like oh. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna make my own emo DJ night and make no money, but yeah. you, do, yeah. you, you do that. <laughs> there is nobody in emo DJ. Um, but I was just like, all right, DJs. Do you randomly? But I don't know if this really relates. But do you ever find that you'll pause? I know you said you use Apple headphones sometimes. Do you <laughs> find that you'll pause your headphones to take a call or just I don't know? You're going into a store and getting a drink or something, and you'll come out, you'll hit play. Again, it's louder than you. Like, do you ever, when you hit play again, are you ever like, oh, I'm listening to this too loud? I am constantly changing my volume on my headphones, but it's because I'm in a loud city like okay. New York yeah. where, like, the background noise right. is always so different. So I'll I, often find that I'll go in and pick up, I'll, like, go to Chipotle, I'll pick up lunch, and I'll leave, and I'll hit play again, and I'll be like, oh, I am listening to this too loud for myself. That way louder than I should be listening. Well, those headphones are very bad for you. So that's the other thing is to keep in mind is to keep them down. I notice that my ears don't feel that great if I listen to them on the subway too loud. And sometimes when the subway comes, I just hit pause instead of turning it up right. louder. Um, I think that that's definitely a better idea most of the time. I now have a head, an earphone, an ear. I've, I had my father call to set up a new ear, uh, ear appointment to get oh, new in-ears. Good, and, good, uh, good. I thought, well, we won't need to make an appointment. They'll just they'll just redo them. They'll just make it off of the mold they took. And the lady was like, no, that's not how we operate. Ear specialists only keep molds for two weeks to six months, and then they throw them out. Well, that's that's your specialist I because I've gotten gone back and gotten mine two years later. Well, I was I was like, this is I I cursed, and then I was like, that's freaking brilliant because <laughs> mm. everyone loses those ear, ear oh, yeah, ears yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And that's, that's a gold mine, yeah. Because yeah. I they were a hundred bucks an ear for me. I don't know, but wow. All right, well, yours are more expensive than mine. Yeah. I, I I do a cheaper one, and I also never use them. So well, maybe I need to get a cheap uh, got a cheap record player then. If I'm spending more money on in ears than you. <laughs> uh, so, so the other place I want to take this is, and why I think it's relevant that we did discuss this now, is that um, a lot of people are saying the loudness war is over. Um, particularly Bob Ludwig. So Bob Ludwig is probably the top mastering guy in the world. And Bob Ludwig does everything from your Radiohead records on out. Um, what people are saying is because... Songs are now consumed by people listening on Pandora, iTunes Radio, Spotify Radio, Beats Radio, RDO Radio, that what happens when they're uh, played up against each other is those systems all have an algorithm where they actually turn the volume down on the songs and make the volume all the same. So the loudness war is over because no matter what, your songs will be played at the same volume. So if you have one of these records like that Suicide Silence record, they're going to turn it down a little bit and basically make it at the average volume that most records in your genre are. If you're listening to really ambient music, like let's say that band Explosions in the Sky, 
it's going to be a little bit more different. There's going to be some more volume fluctuations if you're listening to that radio. But if you're listening to loud dance music, all of it's going to be the same volume. Um, I've been doing a lot of tests with this lately where I've been loading it into my Pro Tools, and it's shocking how good they've gotten these. So you agree. Out to, oh, yeah. No, no, that's true. But here's the reason with saying that that loudness war is wrong is that's not how most people listen to their music. Is most people listen to their music either on playlists or they're the weirdo like you who listens yeah. to albums straight through. So for me, that's there's a green. If everyone agrees to this, if every mixer and master, or whatever, which will never happen, right? So, but let's just say they all agreed. That would be bad though for like me. It wouldn't be bad for the person that listens to. Well, it's not bad for you because what people are always going to do, and I don't think this is bad that we just change the volume on a song. Um, there's even a trick like um. It's kind of lost on some jars, but um, if you ever listen to Radiohead, The Bends, the song The Bends, there was this trick that was used a lot in the late 90s, which was that you'd make like a very quiet sound before the song, and then all of a sudden you turn it up to hear what that is, and then the song kicks oh. in really loud, so then you're listening to it loud and you get um, this emotional burst. The first time I... I downloaded The Leak of Daisy when it... Oh, when yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is like... I have told a few people this story, and I like I'll bring it up sometimes. I'll be like, "Oh yeah," like because it was so. I downloaded the leak of, of Daisy. I was in my room in New Jersey uh, listening. I was like, "Oh my god, Daisy's finally here!" Oh my god, and it's like this, you know, like the the theme song to um, um, Vices, like the the church hymn or whatever it is. And I turned it all the way up on my computer, and I'm like, I'm like, what is this woman saying? I. I didn't know at the time it was like a church hymn or something. So I was like, what is this woman saying? How can I hear her? Like what her, like literally the words she sang. So I like had it fully turned up on my MacBook air or whatever. And my head was like against the, like against the computer. And then all of a sudden, the, <laughs> the music, first, yeah. and I was like, that startled the shit. Like I jumped back in my couch and that is like a music moment. I will never forget in my entire life. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things is they played you, they got you to do they exactly got what me. you. Yeah, they, they truly got me. And <laughs> it is funny, like I, I don't see bands do that as much anymore. But that was a very prevalent trick. I mean, I know a lot of you, our listeners, might be thinking about doing a little grunge revival. That was pretty damn popular in that grunge revival. And so, if you're going to get the intricacies of how to revive that grunge properly and <laughs> you know resuscitate it, this is one of those tricks you need to learn. That's like truly one of the most lasting music instances of my life. Like I remember very clearly me sitting in my friend's like computer den room listening to like songs off of Enema of the State and his little brother was there who was four years younger than me being like, can he hear? And I was like nine. I was like, can he hear those bad words? And I was, and meanwhile, I'm like yeah. nine. <laughs> like that's an experience. And like that, like that is an equally experience of where I was like, whoa, that got loud as fuck. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I particularly I think that Radiohead one was played really well because I watched other people do it so many times. Um, the greater thing to talk about, though, with this is that, one, is the loudness war over? No. But I think it actually has calmed down. And I think one of the big things that we I want to say is that if you're in the process of trying to figure out how loud a record should be, I think it's really good to compare to a few records, for one, and then compare emotionally how you feel. You have to remember that not everything's about clobbering the competition because that is becoming a little less relevant. Um, iTunes also has this thing called Soundcheck that does the exact same thing. 
There's a box you can unclick in your preferences, but Soundcheck will make it so that all the songs are relatively the same volume. So I don't know how many of you are listening, but also I should say that Spotify has it as well. And um, you can check a box or uncheck a box and it'll equalize the volume for all the things. Now, granted, you're not getting an accurate representation, but it'll make your playlists run a little bit smoother when there's quiet songs. But so if you're going down the thing of should my record be loud or not, I think it's definitely a good thing to get a couple of other records and listen to that and then see if you're serving your song better. I was just doing a great record with um, a band called Romp that I just did. And we actually decided that even though I mixed the record loud and I put a little mastering on it when we were listening back to the masters to turn it down a little bit um, because emotionally they're kind of like a twee fun punky thing and like emotionally it needed to be a little bit more gentle and I think the thing I would really like to impart on people is that like loudness is not about winning a war you're never gonna have a thing where just because you made your record loud that the A&R is gonna go wow this is more exciting than the other bands you got to get the right emotion and there is too loud where it sucks out all the life. This is a really important thing to pay attention to and you shouldn't just sign off on your master for whatever it is that your mixer gave you and you have to pay attention to getting this volume right because if you get the right thing and it's feeling good, yes, you're going to make a great impression when potential manager hears you or fans hear you compared to if you don't get it right, it might feel a little off and it's not as exciting to the person. I always used to think that, I mean, I guess, I guess like our continued conversations, like I always used to think mastering was really not that important. <laughs> that it was just you like a, with most people. That it was just like a final touch. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like a, this can truly change how it is delivered to the, the audience. I always thought it was fully mixing and then like mastering was like, got to hit this check mark. Yeah. And a lot of time I thought it was like when I was, not even involved in music at all, just like, oh, you want it to say that it was mastered by Tom Lord Oliver because of like, well, like, he's a mixer, but yeah, Bob, uh, Bob Ludwig, Alan yeah. Douches, yeah, you know, right. Roger I just Seibel. thought it's like, you need to hit these check marks, yes. and necessarily like, because mixing to me, I think to a normal human being makes sense. Like, you record it and you want to make sure it mixes together. Like, to me, that is feasibly understandable and for much someone. more important. Right. I will also say this a great mix. You know, does need mastering still, but is way more important yeah. than a great master. And to me, though, that just click that I think it's easier to grasp. It's like, well, you everything you just you got to mix it together, yes. literally. But mastering, I feel like to a lot of people, is just like I don't know what that means. Yeah, I think that's the sad thing is there's never been a thing where pub, the public has really been educated. So hopefully, after you hear this example we played, you you see a little bit more of how different that can be. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing your wine glass is a little empty. This is I'll such a different more experience. Wine. Yeah, let's 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 do this up and get into some listener questions. I'll pour more wine for listener questions. Those terrible people. Did you notice I got you uh, some wine from Oregon? Because I know you you love going out there. I appreciate that. The lady yeah. who doesn't listen to this <laughs> will appreciate that. So our first listener question is an interesting one. It says, what do you think of management offers asking to pay by month instead of percent of profit? Is that always turn and run or is there a time when that's a good idea? While we're on the topic of wine, (laughs) I would like to say 
I had 18 bottles of wine delivered to me. I, I saw that. So you and I both just did our first major wine purchase because we had the lady also. You think this is my first? Oh, I didn't. I thought <laughs> this was your biggest. I thought oh, it's my biggest. biggest. Yeah, I'm saying I just had my biggest as well. <laughs> I was like, my dad was just like, we're, we're a part of this club, whatever. Yeah, it was the same Coast, thing I did. Winery yeah. in the West Coast and they sent us well, an so email. Which county? Uh, I don't know. No, we did it's, snow it's called Windsor. The winery is called Windsor. Um, I think it's uh, it's up near my uncle in San Francisco. Um, so, so it could be Sonoma. It, we, we did could, one in Sonoma. Could, yeah, and we we got an email that's like thirty percent off this month. And my dad is like, "You want you want to split a case?" I was like, "Case is twelve, right?" He was like, "Yeah." I was like, "No, I want a case, and then we can split a case on top." Oh. And he was like, what are you doing with all that wine? Are you, how much are you drinking? Are you okay? Right. And I was like, it's an investment into my future. When I am living on my own next year and I can't buy wine because I have to pay rent, this is an investment into my future. And then last weekend, I asked for Hanukkah and Christmas, because I celebrate both, for a wine rack, a nice wine rack. Oh, that's good. You see, see that? Yeah. That's, that's what podcasting trying, bought me. I'm trying to be practical we're, with we're, my alcohol tendencies. We, 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 our, our podcasting checks bought me that nice, nice liquor. It looks wine nice. Yeah. That's what, yeah. I'm, I'm psyched on it. Okay. I see I see what I need you to see get. That? Yeah. CB2. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Back to the are, are you okay? Are, we don't need to, to, to get you an AA. You're good? I'm gone for now. For now. For now. For now. You're still at that age where I'm in college. Sad. It's yeah. okay. I'm yeah, in yeah. college. This, this is the years you're supposed to do the yeah. binge drinking. You know, when, yeah. when you're my age, if you're still, you know, getting I mean, I still tumors. haven't ever had a hangover. Oh wow, I'm young. It's okay. I'm so healthy now. I don't get them anymore. I don't believe you. I know, really. Like I'm, I'm like immune. <laughs> I'm, I'm that healthy. Well, you see, see all this exercise that's happening. Yeah. I know you laughed at me previously. I'm, I'm, I'm getting fit. <laughs> Not yet, my arm muscle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's okay. answer this person's question. Um, so is it, is it, is little, you know, I'll edit it out the uh, time uh, when I asked it the first time. Okay. <laughs> what? I got it. What do you think of management offers asking to pay by month instead of a percent of profit? Is that always turn and run or is there a time where this is a good idea? So this is asking, and correct me if I'm wrong, if um, I'm in a band called Metalcore and I want to pay my management company called Hardcore (laughs) or called Double Breakdown um, $500 a month. To just manage my band, I my band could have uh, five fans on Facebook, or they could have two thousand. But regardless, let's just assume that this band doesn't necessarily have a manager knocking down their door, and but they still feel like they need someone to help them out, so they want to pay someone at this random management company, double breakdown, to manage their band for a salary versus fifteen percent. And I should say, there's a company that does this. So that's what I imagine they're talking about. Um, I can't think of what they're called, but I remember... Nor can I. I will ask, though. Yeah, we'll find out. But um, I'll ask some... my metalcore friends. I think it's actually for all genres, but it's spawned from a metalcore company. Mm, yeah. Um, so what do you think of this? I find it... As a manager, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> because there's nothing like... I just got I got paid yesterday by Knucklepuck for the Census Fail tour and for merch last month. And that but and that and it was it was nice, whatever. The band went on tour, the tour did well for us. However, the band hadn't toured since June. So the check I got yesterday was very much different from the check I got in July because the band was recording a new EP. 
And yeah. so there was nothing going on. And so for a manager, why it's nice, why in my head it would be beautiful is because the way bands work, which I've signed up for and I'm not complaining about whatever, is just that you the, the amount of money you are getting commissioned every month is very much shifting all the time. Hopefully it's only growing and growing because that means the band would be making more and more money too. But uh, sometimes bands are in the studio for months and not touring. Or writing. Or writing, or, yeah. You, or it's just holiday season. Yeah, you're just nothing is going on. And um, that makes that means you're typically only seeing commissions from music royalties or merch. And that means likely you're not seeing music royalties if you're on a label and you're just getting money for merch, um, which can be great or it cannot be. So the idea of getting paid, let's just say $500 a month, sounds nice, but it also sounds dirty. My big thing is, is that $500 a month is not much incentive to perform well. So odds are this person who you're paying $500 a month for, and there could be exceptions. Like you could just be like that thing of, you know, I think of myself as like, I get asked to manage bands all the time. And as somebody who's retired from management, I have to always say, you know, it just doesn't make sense for me to do this because one, I can't take on a band for no money. Two, I'm busy producing records, mastering, writing books. Yeah. Uh... But like, so... You don't have much of an incentive to do any better when you're just getting that flat fee. You have an incentive to just get the job done at the bare minimum. I have more incentive to get job done for zero dollars. Like that that's the thing. Like I for Knuckle Puck, I just like for the sake of transparency, I started working with the band in August of two thousand and thirteen. And I my first payment from the band my first commission payment from the band was in March of 2014. Yeah. That's I put in six months of hard work to get the band to a point where the band was making money. And, and I we should also say, this is very, very common that, like you actually probably got paid faster yeah, than a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, a lot, like you have to work, often for young growing bands, you have to work for months to years. Yeah. Strictly just off of the belief that one day this band is gonna make a career for themselves and for you. And that's that's just how management is. And for me, I like I was much more incentivized by saying, "Let's get this band to shape. Let's get you on the road. Let's get you a booking agent. Let's get you selling music, so everyone's making money." And that drove me to work harder, um, or potentially, I guess, right? And yes, now the band's doing really well for their moderate size, and. Um, Comparatively, though, if I was getting $500 a month when the band was making no money, one, the band would be bankrupting themselves and not being able to pay to go into the studio because they didn't have a label or not being able to pay for anything, really. Like, yeah. not being able to pay for merch, not being able to... Our van blew up. What if this was my perfect... I was so happy that I wasn't taking commissions because our van blew up literally two, three weeks before we went on tour with Neck Deep. And uh, we had to go buy a new van for like 15 grand. And I was like, wow, imagine if I, because I, all this time I had been tracking our money that the band was making. I'd been tracking what could have been what. And I was like, wow, if I had taken this much money from the band, that would have been so much harder to pay the van off. And now we're almost paid off in way under a year because we've been smart financially. So if it's the case where you're like you're in a band and you're considering double breakdown for um, your management to pay them, like don't be smarter. Ask ask someone like questions. 
if it if it's literally to bounce ideas off of, ask someone. Yeah, and I think that that's what this service that this person's probably asking about is like the service kind of like. It's basically, it's just like, it's a mentorship almost, like where they're just telling you what you should be doing at each step. They're doing these things. Maybe they're using some of their connections yeah. to get you, but like... At that point, you're paying to go to Drexel. <laughs> yeah. And that's and So my other big thing, though, is that if you don't learn how to start uh, managing yourself anyway, you're going to get conned your entire career, and you're going to be the Elvis where, oh, like, you know, I, I actually just read this uh, again today that Elvis's manager took 50%. <laughs> and like you're not Whoa. like that's the extreme oh, case that's the extreme 50%. case that's the extreme case here but the real case of it is is that like you're not gonna know when they're doing a bad job they're not gonna know when they're doing a good job you're not gonna know like when things are falling through the cracks unless you start learning yeah. how to manage yourself and all the different aspects of it so I mean yeah so and, real quick Managers should not be making more than 15% net. Yes. Um, if you booking, don't know the net difference between net and gross, use the Wikipedia. Yeah, quick. look that up. Booking agents, 10% of net of shows. Um, of, of merch uh, if you get way bigger. Yeah. Um, but, uh, business manager, 5%, hopefully net, sometimes gross. Mm -hmm. And lawyer, 5% net of dealings that the lawyer deals with. Um, write that down. <laughs> yeah. That, that's all very standard numbers. Yeah. Um, so, but yes, in general, turn and run, no. Are there exceptions? Sure. I, I think there might be like an exception of like, let's say you want to get somebody involved, but they're like, hey, I'm happy to work hard for you, but I'm going to need X amount of money to be able to devote any hours to this a week. There could be an exception, but... In general, I don't think this is the best idea. Um, maybe a flat fee on top of a percentage for somebody. I don't even know if that's the worst thing, but I think that the person should believe in your band enough that they're willing to take a loss for a while. And that's a very common thing. Like, you know, like, so um, we're taping this episode during CMJ and, you know, if there's anything I've seen. Ebola. Yeah, there, there's a lot of Ebola. We're, we're taping in Williamsburg and there's a lot of Ebola around here right now. Um... But if there's anything I've seen, it's been a lot of discussion about da 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 da's taking on this band, and yes, they're not making any money. It was the first thing Zach and I sat around and talked about, is that two people we know are taking on a very promising band that we can't stop listening to, for what's probably going to be unprofitable for quite a while. And that's how it is. Like, Knuckle Puck could still be unprofitable if the band didn't catch on. Like, that's just how it goes with management, and that's okay. That's like... Management is a horrible business because there's no guarantee and yeah. it's so scary. And that's why I said before, like one month I may make X dollars from knuckle puck and the next month I may make none. And that's like, that is how it, it's really hard. It's as a manager, it's just, that's what you're signing up for. Like some management companies, most management companies that are like quote unquote official operate on a basis where if this is interesting to anyone, you get a guaranteed salary per year, and instead of making money or seeing money from your commissions from a from a band, those commissions go directly back into the company. And let's just say you're making thirty grand a year from your company. If by if by band commissions you make forty grand, and which is more than thirty, obviously, you then split that ten grand 
in some kind of 70, 30, 60, 40, whatever kind of way. And that's a typical thing. If you're bringing in money for a company and the, if the company is legitimate and all that, but still your salary is still based on what your bands are making. So that, that, that to me is a more comfortable way. Like, yeah, I'd love to advise a band to make $500 a month, but I know I probably wouldn't do a good job past the first month. Because yeah, it's just it's, the, the incentive's just not healthy. And frankly, like, these are things that you, like, the advice you'd probably be getting is probably, like, things that you need to be learning on your own. Learn how to advance a show. Learn how to, yeah. Learn how to social mediaize yourself. At $500, you're doing, like, one, and not to be, like, the self promotional one, you could spend $30 on my book or even three other books that will teach you half of what that person's gonna do, and you could just spend 10 hours reading it. Um, or two, you spend that much time just talking to other people and doing a little bit of Googling of Hypebot, Music Think Tank, right. and Usermation posts, all for free. And you probably get all your uh, right. answers or done. take three months of that and record a new EP. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's actually a good point is that, you know, after six months, that's... That's a significant... Six, six months is $3,000. I do LPs for that all the time. Yeah, a year is six grand. Like, that is... You can buy half of your van for that. Like... Yeah, that's a great point. Shows. And where is that money even coming from? Like, I think that even gets to a better point is that so many people don't view their dollars and their band as that it's a constant thing of where could you better be spending this money? Like, anytime you're spending that money, there might be a better place and optimizing that money is so much of what makes a big difference in how you build your I think people think like that or they don't doesn't matter if you're in a band like I think of things in like objects like I know that whatever I know that my J tree job feasibly pays my rent mm-hmm. cool my rent is taken care of yeah. and so then I like that's how yeah. I think of things and so just for knuckle puck for example it's like we have to go I have to buy UK tickets for them in the coming week so it's like when we're dealing with paying out paying bands out for their hard work for touring and doing what a band does I have to be like okay cool let me just quickly think like six plane tickets equals this like yeah. we need to buy all this merch this is that like I think of things when which I find helpful when managing or label stuff is like I think of things as money equals object if we remove the object from the money like this is how much money we have so if you're gonna spend six grand a year on a fake manager Think of what objects that six grand can get you to better your band in other ways. And then hopefully get a manager because of it, I think. I think that's good advice. So the next question is definitely for you. I'm currently running an up-and-coming music site, but I'm struggling to find interns or contributors, and I'm finding it harder and harder to carry such a large portion of the responsibilities. We reached out via social media, but writers are no longer as popular as photographers. How do you find interns <laughs> when Property Zach had just started? What's that grunt for? I'm curious because I don't know that. I grunted as I read as popular as photographers. So is there just like an abundance of photographers today that are willing to just do their stuff? How do I not get myself in trouble? Uh, you nice, Zach. Don't you know how to do that? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I love photographers. I, some of my very good friends are photographers. At the same time... A lot of photographers, it like anyone can have a DSLR. Anyone can have their parents' DSLR. Equally, anyone can have a laptop and anyone can have a Tumblr blog, right? Like these are two things that equal out each other. Everyone has a laptop though. However, like it's tough. 
I could write a gabillion words on my stance on photographers. There's like truly trying not to get myself shat on. Um, photographers just tend to be, and I don't have a problem with, I'm not saying this is wrong one way or another, but photographers are very um, demanding and controlling of their work. Some people, I, Properties Act does not, Properties Act doesn't credit photographers on our posts. Um, like, why, why are you Satan? I know, I'm terrible. Some websites have a spot where they can say input photographer credit here. Property Act just doesn't have that. That was why. I is it because of Tumblr? Or is, is it? It is because of Tumblr. Okay, I, like, so there's it's not, no, not, that, not that you're. Yeah, some companies like some blogs have in their CMS a little line for yeah, like yeah. a little you my, know, word, my WordPress. Yeah, like even it. Squarespace for um, for bad timing. There's like a little line below yeah. where you insert photos. So whenever I know who takes a photo that we include on the bad timing website, I credit the photographers. I've just had angry run-ins with photographers. That's why. Oh I yeah. The, 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 also, very... when we when we property Zach has in the past said we're hiring, we usually get four times as many photographer like in uh, applications as we do anything else. And so, that... so is some of this because handing out a guest list pass for a photographer is basically like all these people have learned the thing that I get the best seat in the house. Yeah, it's tough because you get a and a free ticket. I was reading this thing on this Facebook group called the Journalist. Speak easy. Terrible group. That is it's a terrible like a, name, too. Think of like the Defend Pop Punk group, but just angry, bitter press-related people. Bitter, yeah. bitter people who pay too much for journalism degrees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like publicists. Those are, who, those are most of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> publicists who think they're gods, like reigning yeah. over oh. like the... Yeah. We, we said a lot of bad things about publicists in the last episode. We did. I got in trouble. Really? Because... My, my my friend my friend texted me say say why are you talking shit? Oddly enough, the publicist from Razor and Tie that I commented on emailed me yesterday at six thirty last night as I dug into my sushi and wine that Uh-oh. that um why would you say you're blacklisted from Razor and Tie? And my 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 reply was well the last email you sent was me was. Good luck on your future endeavors. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where you deducted that from. <laughs> I don't know. Um, why don't I answer the question? Yes. Um, we've reached out via social media, but writers are no longer as popular as photographers. How did inter- how did you find interns when Prop B. Zach had started? This is kind of a hard question for me to break the news to you on, but when Property Zach started, there were not many other music blogs like we are today. Um, and that's just kind of the truth. There was absolute yeah, pump. They're still like under the gun. No, not no. So when we in two thousand was under the for you. Uh, one year one year older. So but yeah. hold on. So there was properties act. There was um, absolute punk. The one from UK. There was also the Reeds. press. Yeah, there was also the press, and there was punk news. Yeah. And under I didn't know about under the gun yet, to be fair. But so there were just are those like you could count on one hand conceivably the amount of like in reach music websites there were like. MTV doesn't count. Billboard doesn't count. Like, you know, those sites don't count. So, but then really like when you like seriously think about Property Zach, we were still very different than Under the Gun and Alter the Press because of Tumblr. And we like, so there wasn't, and even if you count all those sites, there wasn't much really competition. There was like five or six blogs, websites, platforms. And so how, when Property Zach started, we just didn't have anything to go. We we weren't competing. We were everyone else's competition. We didn't have competition. And so it was super easy for us. Like I, our first real writer, Jesse Richmond, um, I had met him through Tumblr 
And I, uh, I, um, our former editor in chief, Emily, went to a main show to interview the main because I was on a bus back from soccer camp, and I ran into. <laughs> I was a soccer car. I was a soccer counselor. I had no idea. Really, I spent oh. ten years of my life in uh, Purchase College in Westchester as a soccer camper and then counselor. Wow. Some of the best years of my life. I love that place. That is like a 15th home. (laughs) Wow. Um, And so I I then gave my main tickets to Jesse because he wanted to go to the show and I think Emily and I were probably going on a date or something. And I said, hey, do you want to write for us, by the way? And he was like, yeah. And that's how it all started. I don't know why he wanted to write for us. Um, He's listening to this right now and it just started like that. And then from, from there on, people would just email us asking to write for us. So maybe some of the answer is that you have to get in some more of a community. Yeah, I think like, you need to like show why someone would want to write for you. Do your ideals mesh with someone else's? Do you love the same thing someone else does? Do you seem to be very passionate and helpful about the, the music you're covering? Do you want to... It's no one's job. It's not my. I, it could be my job too, but it's it's not necessarily your job to prolong the scene, to move the scene forward. I guess like I, I don't think it should necessarily be a young blogger's <laughs> job to like advance the scene, right? But at the sure, same- but but don't you think it just is if you make good content and you put in the legwork of spreading it? Like so, the other thing about it is like so like when I was doing news formation and I had contributors. People would just ask to contribute yeah. because I was always doing the legwork of getting my content out there. I'd post my content to message boards. I'd, uh, you know, write to the bands that you interview and get them to tweet. Like just yeah. doing that legwork that I then got too lazy to deal with. And then, but just doing some of that and then also making it just known and just saying, hey, we want contributors is half the yeah. work. And if people are liking your thing and feeling like they're going to get in front of voices, you're going to get volunteers. You're probably going to meet good friends. I mean, yeah, some I, of the people I've met through, through – I mean, if you th- think of it this way, the reason I started writing for you is I saw that my voice could get spread. Yeah. it's what the, Why I said I might have bad news for you is because I think what, what I was trying to contrast was that when Properties Act started, there was relatively nothing around us. And now there's so much noise. Mm. There's so many blogs. And I think it's like – the, like, do you want someone to write for you or do you want that writer to be good or potentially be good in the future? Hmm. That's the difference to me. That's interesting. Because um, when we when we say Properties Act's hiring, we're not doing this anymore, but if we did this last year, we might get 100 writer applications. Um, we got 700 emails last year this time, I remember. And that was across <laughs> the board. It was like writers, photographers, video, any, every, anything we were asking about. It was insane. That's a lot. It was really incredible and humbling, frankly. But also, to be honest, 99% of the writer submissions we got were just not people that we could have their quality on the website. Yes, they're, they're writing, writing. I would love to write for your website. The, the word you, your is you are. Yeah, and my, and my name was spelled wrong and probably Zach was spelled wrong. And so I bet you could get that writer to write for you. But do you want that writer to write yeah. for you? And I think that was actually one of the funnier things is like reviews formation, which just made me so stylistic. Also, like, you know, like for Museformation, it was more of a, like, let's be a forum for forward thinking in the music business. And we just get these, like, articles that are like, do you know how stupid bands are? And you're just like, no, I, this is not what I'm having on here. I, I think, like, it's almost like a thing, too, is that you have to find people who are writing for 
other sites or you see they're just writing a good blog and they're part of your community and you say to them, you should write. Zach, Zach said to me, you should write and I volunteered and wrote for a long time. Almost five years to the day now, I have been developing one singular team. Yeah. And it's hard. Like we've seen people come, we've seen people go, we've seen people come back. And seriously, since since uh, November 8th, we have been developing one team in 2009. And there are a few people on, like Jesse Richmond, our first ever quote unquote like employee, writer, whatever, is still with us today. Yeah. And he's now integral to the website. And there are a few people like that. And then a lot of people just come and go. And, you know, frankly, the largest issue with writers is, you know, like I bet the person that asked me this question is not paying the writers. Nor yes, is property. Well. Right. Obviously. Right. And nor is property Zach. Yeah. So then you get into this. You have to deal with this thing. Similarly, like to tie it back to the manager question, if you're not paying someone and if you are paying someone just a flat rate for something they're supposed to be doing so incredibly well, well, how much time can they put into it or how much, how dedicated can they put, be put into well, it? Well, but the more passionate people are always going to do it. Sure, but the resume and I have, it helps. Like, you know, my zine got me paid writing gigs. I have found, though, a very, cons- over five years of time, I have found an incredibly similar peer, like a cycle where someone comes on board, they write really well from anywhere from zero days to a year and then it just it fizzles it fizzles because that person has real life shit they got a job like they got you know they got out of college and they got a job and they really want to be writing for you but they can't anymore midterms come and then it all and then life gets crazy last year i was a food writer for a local for a local blog and uh i realized i couldn't do it after about three months like it still happens. It's hard. Yeah, it's I, like I want to be a food writer more than anything. I love writing about food, but I also recognize that writing books pays really well. Property Zach is my website. I barely get paid any money for it, and I find and sometimes and right now I'm struggling doing it, and it's like that's hard. You know, yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> but well, I think we kicked that questions out. Should we, should we reward ourselves with some more wine? Some more wine. Yeah. This is fun. So I'm going to read the next one while you pour. I find that a lot of music reviews, written recommendations, press release style writing sound the same. People just use a lot of buzzwords without actually describing the music itself. And the desire to get engaged is pretty low. It's really glad we're pouring that that close to the mic. That's okay. Um, they need to know. They need to they know. Need to hear it's real, you know. Um, <laughs> they need to know we're not bullshit drinking. Um, do you have any tips on how to grab someone's attention enough to listen to a band's music based on a written blurb? What attracts you to to listen to a band after reading a review, press release, etc.? Thanks. I, I, I have some stuff to say you about go. this. So, so one, um, I write about this a lot in my book. Is that um, so? I've probably, and this is not even a joke. I think I've written two hundred bands bios dash album press releases uh, in my life at minimum. Um, I actually used to get paid to do it, which is shocking since Thomas. My yeah, career. Thomas. Tom, that's a gig for Thomas. He makes yeah. potentially several hundred dollars a month by writing band bios. Yeah, it's um, a great. It's a great little thing for writers. Yeah, uh, it's a very funny thing considering how atrocious my grammar is. But thankfully, I always had um, girlfriends who were very good at grammar to help me. It's kind of a prerequisite. But um, anyway, um, one. I think you need to find the most compelling way to describe what you sound like. So 
Blink-182 meets Fallout Boy is the least interesting thing on Earth. But finding a one, maybe a more old school band that's like respected. So let's say Lifetime or Plow United or something a little bit of obscure. And even though you might be like, hey, not everybody knows who that is. The people who write for sites usually have pretty good music educations. Even if you listen to this podcast and you hear that Zach doesn't even know who the Pixies are, that can be the case. (laughs) But uh, I think one, finding two or three ways to say something exciting. Oh, so we just had a cameo from uh, the cat in my apartment. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, Precious. (laughs) Supposed to be sleeping. Yeah. Um, Presh, come on over here. Doesn't like me. Cats don't like me. (laughs) No one likes me. Oh, just because you get some bad comments and a bad PR person jumping down your throat in two episodes. Um, so anyway, um, I think it's that. It's not wasting people's time telling who you toured with and who you've played shows with. I think it's saying an exciting story or even finding the exciting story about your band. There's a cat on my lap. There is a cat on your lap. It's really something. Hello. Um, I don't know what to do with you. Come here, girl. Um, so, so, like, I think what's interesting, though, is for me, what gets me to listen to a band from uh, a press release? So here's the funny thing is, Porter Robinson, my favorite record of the year, I gave him a chance because I read a press release. I got an email from an unsolicited publicist, but the description of his music made me say, you know what? That's something I'm in the mood to hear right now. It just happened by chance that that sounded like the right thing. And I think that that's the thing too, is you have to realize that, so one of the things I talk about is that like, uh, if you get three out of 25 blog pitches uh, successful, you just ran one of the most successful blog campaigns possible. This person did act, talk about like that they use the same buzzwords. Yes, everybody uses the same buzzwords over and over and over again. Um, I think that's your part of your challenge is how do you say something new and interesting that also matches the band's music and is also not pretentious drivel? Do you have anything? Yeah, I guess I have a lot. I'm a good example of the, of the person press releases are going to. Yes. I, I was trying to find it while Jesse was answering his question, but the Tumblr mobile app does not show how many posts on properties that I've made. Mm. It's got to be over 100,000. I got to assume. You went a hundred thousand. I I tip. There are typically ten page over the last few years. There are typically pen, ten pages of posts a week on Property Zach, and there are fifteen posts per page. So that's about. Oh, it's. Oh, I'm averaging more, a little more, or a little less than a hundred posts a week on Property Zach. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Whatever it is, it's a lot. All of my posts are roughly the same length. All of my posts roughly say the same thing. All of my posts decompress whatever is going on into the same two to three sentences for the same reader. And that gives you no chance. That gives you no chance. Like, tell you a few things about me. I don't care about press releases. Yeah, I, that's a great point, too. I, press releases are my nightmare. I am typic- I am right now, the last month, I've been going through a, a very exciting spree of just unsubscribing from press releases. Uh, same here. I've, I don't, I've been going through a three-year thing of it. I don't even know how many press rele- pre- how many press releases I'm on. Like to me, I've I maybe have never listened to. I mean, this is not true, but like I maybe have listened to 
0.01% of music ever because of a press release, unless it's for a band I like. Like, unless it's for, I got a press release about whatever, Four Year Strong. I'm a fan of Four Year Strong. I'm going to click sure. that. But if it's a new band, that's not how I listen to music. And I'm sorry. Like, how I listen to music is Run For Cover signed a new band. I love Run For Cover. I'm going to listen to it. I well, listen- you often talk about that. You see your friends talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I see, I see a buildup of I'm going to listen to it. Like, the only example, like, this is truly it. The, the uh, like, the, I don't know, Diamond of the Rough, whatever, is that on a really miserable day where I lost someone close to me over the winter, I had this press release for a hotel year album and I listened to that and that album truly happened to be the right album for that really horrible event. Hmm. And it was truly just like one in a million of me clicking a link on a goddamn press release. Yeah, so there's the, 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 the thing though. So we both have these moments that it's like been once in a lifetime. So what your strategy should not be, and while you do have to do a press release, that's not how people are going to hear you. Writers like us are going to see your name in a press release a couple times, and then maybe if we see it on Twitter, and then we see somebody else we know who likes your band, and maybe we see a sticker, we see your the opening band of the show, Repetition. then we're eventually going to break down and check you out. Right. But in all reality, this is not going to be the thing that gets you through our gate. Right. How uh, I not yeah. even let's call it not even ninety nine out of a hundred times. It's kind of like nine thousand ninety nine yeah. out of ten thousand times. How I cover bands on the website. There's it's just simple. Rise Records signs a band. I'm going to cover the band. Yep. And and the and the form of that property Zach is right now. Run for cover signs a band. I'm going to cover the band. I'm a friend of the band. I'm going to cover the band. Um, I like the band. I'm going to cover the band. I get, it would probably make me throw up how many emails I get a day. I don't know. I wonder how many press releases I get a day. It's a lot. I post about 5% of them probably. And I archive and delete all of the rest. And like the only ways I, I don't know how I start posting about a band. The clear way is for a label that we cover signs them and then we post about them. The other clear way is I'm going to test the waters. I know a booking agent that books this band and I think they might be popular someday. Let me see. Or I know a manager. Let me see. Um, but otherwise, like it's just not a cohesive experience of how it happens. Like We do showcases on bands. We do the showcase and then we may never cover that band again. I don't yeah. promise that. If I promise that, God knows how many bands more I'd be posting about a week that you guys don't care about. Like, the our, the thing with showcase is hopefully they get in the door somehow, and maybe that goes somewhere for them, and maybe it doesn't. But I just I only have so much time in a day, and I hear you. If I posted every press release I get about Nickelback having a new radio on alt rock, you guys probably want to read the website anymore. <laughs> yeah, and. I think that that's an interesting thing too is that it's your job to filter this and it's the band's job to assault you on so many fronts that you feel like covering them and make good enough music that people are actually talking about the it. Mo- yeah, the most – honestly now – and this is, sounds so weird. I feel so terrible for saying this because this is going to come back to bite me. But every once in a while now, the way I judge music that I should maybe post about on the website that I don't listen to maybe is the Defend Pop Punk group. Because if I'll see a band posted about there endlessly and not by the same person. Yeah, not the people who right, are in the yeah, band. But yeah, I know what you mean. There are posts that. that are like every day because there are so many – we let so many goddamn people in that group that every day there are 15 posts that say – 
how many uh, – what's your favorite local band right now? Or what's your whatever, right? What's your favorite song right now? What's the best band that's going to blow up next year? There were 20 of those posts a day. And if I see that Head North are getting posted about every single day, I'm going to check the band out. Yeah, and totally. Then, I and, I, well, I checked the band out because I figured they were named after the transit song. Right. Was, and so did I. And I said, yeah. you know what? I'm not going to like this because name out of the transit song. Yeah. And then I really like the song. And now my friend's booking them. Hmm. And uh, here we go. So – and now I post about them and they do moderately well for the ba- a band that size. And so like that's kind of my judge. And I – me, I need to – my job is to stay aware of that shit, whether it's for Properties Act or management or label. It's my job to see what is coming. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, press releases are just never the way. I just – While press releases are never the way, I, I, I hate that we kind of dodge the question. Is there anything anybody can really say aside from X members of – Maybe a band that we liked, or is there any thrilling way that somebody could any say and like not use the buzzwords? Because like, no. I just don't think there is. No. Right? It's a bummer. This is like the honest. But yeah, that's, I think like, that's like, we got to be real. Yeah, like this. It's just it's hel- It's a helpless. It's a it's a disaster of it. But let's also say this: it's emotion we have to go through, right? Like, because like you and I both have to write things for the bands we've worked with, and right. I, you know, I I write it for half the bands I record just as a bonus. Bad timing sends out oh, yeah. releases. Like, and this is the thing with I guess it, it's a good way to tie it in with bad timing is that like we're obviously a very young label, even though. Bad timing has X members of Property Zach and Absolute Punk, right? Like if you think <laughs> X members yeah. of You know, if you think about it, like like featuring members of rather. You know, like we have clout, but that doesn't guarantee our bands have any clout. And so we still send press releases and we'll still follow up to say, Hey, Brooklyn Vegan, can you post about this? And there's a part of me that hates that because it's like <laughs> Oh, I hate my. I hate when I get this email. You must. I'm so yeah. sorry. Well, I, I, I think that's the thing is I've grown to hate asking anybody for anything because I'm oh, asked for so much. Favors are the worst. Yeah, it's just, I, like, I'm just like I'm asked for too much, so I never want to ask. Anybody I've now. For um, I use this app called Text Expander that you can set. Uh, it's a great app. Great app. You should check it out. You can set uh, like sh- uh, snippets for you to type. So let's say you type semicolon home. And it just types out your whole address in a second. And uh, I have saved over 24 hours of my life typing on I, I remember you were talking yeah. about this. Yeah, I saw you tweet this, I think, with Jason. Yeah, and so I, I recently just set up a snippet that I should have set up five years ago and you should set up too. Yeah. That, that whenever – anytime anyone solicits me on Facebook ever – like that's a clearly I don't know and clearly it's like hey post about my band or if I'll, I'll or if I'll accept their friend request and twenty seconds later they'll comment yeah. on me I will just send <laughs> I'll, I have a snippet now that says I just type it it's the snippet is turns out and it expands to turns out if you email some if you Facebook I have someone that you don't know asking about posting about their band they probably won't ever respond to you ever again or ever post about your band. <laughs> And it's just like it's the truth. There's a there's a fine line between sending a press release and then not trolling, but essentially like just punishing, I guess, someone. And it's a it's a it's so hard because I know you want your music to get published. Well, also, they're used to communicating with people through Facebook, and they think like, oh, this person's on Facebook. They're just like me, and they use it the same way as it. And it's like really, 
you and I are on Facebook almost as an annoyance and something we have to do. Yeah, I love Facebook Messenger to talk to some of my friends, but then I it's don't like even use it for that. Oh, I use it a lot for that just because it's clued into it's like plugged into my AIM and Messages app and whatever. Well, I, don't, I don't use but it. But then I just anything, get so. yeah. I, then I just get it. I'm the I'm keeping AIM alive. <laughs> I don't use AIM, Gchat, or anything. Yeah, I, and I use all that because I just have to talk all day to people and I don't want to be on my phone. And so that that's helpful to me. But at the same time, it's like. Please leave me alone. And that, and that, honestly, it just attributes to burnout for me, for writers, for producers, for record yeah. labels. It's just, it's a, it's a kind of like a yeah. Because for me, it's can you listen to this song and tell us what we should do to it? Yeah. It's like it's yeah, a, that's what I get paid to do. It's a You're, painful cycle. And yeah. to me, like the best way for you to get me to listen to your music is not through a press release. It's for you to make really good music that somehow, in the unknown way of people liking music and finding music, is getting your friend to like it and then tweeting that and then another friend tweets it and somehow 20 million days later it ends up in my timeline and I listen to it and I'm impressed. Yeah. And that's it. There's no, like, that's just it. Yeah, we've kind of said this before but I think that's the most explicit way we can say it. Yeah. So the next question is, my band recently got a new bassist and we have about four songs written. I played guitar, sang, and wrote all the lyrics for these four songs. My question problem is the bassist we just got, who is a good friend of ours, was the frontman, aka he wrote lyrics and sang in a band that now is broken up. He's brought to the attention of using an old unreleased song of his last band as one of our songs, but it doesn't sit well with me due to the sonic differences. Am I just being a pain in the ass or do I have some merit? I do this a lot. And this is a very common thing when bands come to the studio. You may have some merit or you may not. We can't tell and every time that can go either way of that. Yeah, it could be totally weird to have an alternate songwriter or you could be the Menzingers where two different people writing songs is the best thing ever. And you mean like, Blink-182? Well, I like the Menzingers more than Blink-182 personally, but I might be biased. Me too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I stare at my Blink-182 tattoo. <laughs> um... Yeah, that could be part of your sound. This is a big decision you make as a band is what's going to be your sound and what is going to go into your sound. Um, are you guys going to want to be a dual songwriter band? Are you guys going to want to be the, you know, like, uh, th there's actually a joke about this is uh, what is the last thing the bass player says uh, before he gets fired from the band? Hey, guys, want to try some of my songs? <laughs> That's good. It's not even my favorite bass player joke. I'll have to tell that on the podcast some other time. But this is just a decision you make part of your band. Maybe you try it. You see if it fits well in there. You listen to your band. Your band should be a democracy where you all... Like one of the biggest things I'll say, and I don't think we've gotten into this in the podcast before, is that if there's anything I've seen in bands that people actually want to listen to compared to the bands that don't get 20 plays on their songs that I've worked with, is the bands that get listened to are the bands that can comment on each other's playing. The band that says, I don't tell you how to play your drums, that's the band that never goes anywhere. This is how you figure out who you are. So you guys gotta do this, you gotta hash it out, and this is a big decision you're gonna make as a band, but what you choose from this is a defining thing, so make it wisely and take it seriously. Also, maybe it's okay to, if you're early on, have Maybe that, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe that adds to your sound. Maybe that helps you go somewhere in the future. But I don't know. That's your field, not my field. 
I think the other interesting thing is, is I fear for if your bassist is telling the truth that he wrote all of the song and then you start having uh, messages from guys he played in the last band you find out that uh, he didn't write all of the song and that the singer or not the singer because you're the singer but the, the guitarist wrote a lot of the uh, melody and then all of a sudden you're embroiled in some controversy and all this fun stuff that happens with bands and like the silliness I see in the Defend Pop Punk group of I wrote the lead guitar riff for that song when I was jamming out with these guys one time and they ripped it off from me because I was in the opening band that played with them one time. And you're just like, oh, dude, you got to be kidding me. This is pop punk lead guitar. This is the most basic thing on earth. Chugga, chugga, chug, <laughs> chug. <laughs> I think that's all I have to say about that. Recommendations. Uh, I would recommend uh, Have Mercy just released by the time anyone is listening to this a new album called A Place of Their Own it's out on Hopeless Records the band are, the band is on the Defend Pop Punk Tour right now with Real Friends and Neck Deep wait wait that, that, there's a Defend Pop no, Punk Tour no it's just calling it that oh okay it could be called that I'm gonna, gonna, say, I'm gonna go on my own tour Brian Starrs had a tour and it was called a Brian Starrs Tour um, I'm gonna have my own tour called the Defend Pop Punk Tour, and um, I'm surprised that hasn't been. It's gotta be a tour name eventually. I mean, if Bob's not doing it, who's doing it? I feel like they kind of own it. They do own it. I just feel like some band in the Defend Pop Punk group that's an idiot should be. Oh, like, he's gonna do it. You know what I mean? But I don't I'm even think that's that happened. Happened. exactly. I'm shocked that hasn't happened. Anyway, have mercy. Good band. They're from Baltimore. Life's hard down there. So it's a rough city. It's dangerous. I haven't watched The Wire, but I hear it's dangerous. I've been watching the show Manhattan. Is that about the project, right? It's about the Manhattan Project. So fun fact that where the scientists from uh, Columbia and Princeton used to meet was in the building my studio's in. Oh. There's so, no Ebola there. There's no Ebola okay. in my studio. Well, there's no Ebola in Union City. Just, just in the neighborhood we're in right now, the, uh, the guy went bowling, so... Yeah, so the bombs were created in your building. Well, the, the scientists met and discussed bomb plans. Ah. Um, that but, could be a historic site. Well, that's one of the reasons. It did, right before I moved in, it was going to get ripped down. And then they um, found out that there was uh, dry cleaning, bad dry cleaning stuff that went on on the site. And so that they felt like they shouldn't put uh, school there because <laughs> of that. So Your rent's about to go up. Uh, my rent goes up all the time. It's, it's getting rough in Union City. Um, I it's rough there. But uh, Manhattan's a fantastic show, so I'm going to recommend that. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter, at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off the Record FM. We'll be back next week.